0: Let's do it. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I am Andy Uri and alongside me is my father, Richard Uri. There he is. Uh, Welcome. Hi. (laughs) And today we are joined by David Jarrett. David is a British fine art photographer, conservationist and author. He worked with the likes of supermodels Cara Delevingne. Uh, She's English, isn't she? She is. And Cindy Crawford and since 2018 has raised over $11 million for philanthropic and conservation organizations through his works. David, welcome to the podcast.
1: It's good to be here.
0: Now, it's a great honor to have you on, David. It's my first boss. I think I'm I think I'm still scared of you, you know. This is this is this is a, this is a novel experience. We I was like, never your boss. Yeah, well, you know, you were.
2: Cleverville. The clever. We were some first employee. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I think it's a 20-year rule. You can forget yeah. about that.
0: <laughs> we always like
1: to ask this question though, to start. I mean, what is keeping you up at night, David? These days, much less keeps me up at night than uh, when I was working in financial markets where there was always always be something to be concerned about. But if there is one thing that, that uh, keeps me uh, awake, it is um, the knowledge that the position you have in the marketplace, and we've been lucky enough to get to a position of market leadership, is there's no permanency there. And the ride to the top is much more fun than actually retaining that position. Um, so you're always looking at the threats and the clouds that are on the horizon and the things you have to be careful about. So that's probably the things that I think about. To be frank, I, I, I sleep well.
0: In this sort of area you've created, I guess, which is fine art, photography, you, you, you've had a hand in sort of um, helping create this genre. Is there not loads of space now for people to do it? Or do you think it, it's, you know... When you're saying you've got to stay on top, I assume that means be the best fine art photographer you can.
1: Well, I, I certainly wouldn't say I've created the space. I mean, since the Second World War, there's been so many extraordinary talented photographers. I think the word, the word or the expression fine art has been dropped in by people involved in the marketing because if it fine art wasn't there, would it be non-fine art photography? I'm just a photographer. But what we created was uh, a position where from on the wholesale side, we had... 35 or 40 galleries around the world uh, selling our work, and to that extent, it becomes self-propagating. You don't want to be an artist with one gallery unless it's a particularly good one representing you, and the best businesses, as Warren Buffett used to say, are the businesses that can earn you money when you're asleep. Uh, I can't be in 40 places at once, but I've got 40 people doing the work of marketing my work, and that business model, I think, is strong. It is It is very possible for other people to try and copy it. Of course it is. And uh, I, um, there's no complacency at all. But it will require an awful lot of hard work for them to do that. What
0: is David Jarrow known for in these galleries? Because really, you're, you, to me, you're slightly... It's like a musician. It's like, I've got to come out
1: with great new material all the time, you know? Well, I think that you could ask uh, a lot of galleries what bad art is. and And bad art normally starts with the lack of authenticity. Um, so the better off of what we try and do is is to have uh, creative content that is original um, and hasn't been seen before in, in, this, in the form that I
2: presented. But it is a big sort of pressure on you, isn't it, to actually keep thinking what's the next and creative? I don't think it's any bigger pressure than anyone
1: else is involved in the creative process. But every business has pressure points and and um, if you're a creative it is a it is a business and that's right it is the it is the bottleneck if you like it is the traffic jam to make sure that you can come up with content that is original and is authentic
0: in america has really become i mean obviously america is the sort of dominant market for all these sorts of things but a lot of your photography has been based on american themes and is that is that something you see continuing over the next year or two or
1: i certainly think uh, the the premise of a lot of artists including my mother who was an artist tend to just give the public what they could do rather than what they wanted and in a quite calculating way, which some people might uh, criticize before and indeed do, we've kind of looked into what people want rather than what we can give. And if you can find uh, what you're giving coalescing with what people want, well that's quite a good starting position to be in. Uh, I think that we are all storytellers. The best artists are storytellers. I've just been in Dallas where Taylor Swift sold out 90,000 seats three nights in a row. I think they said she made $7.2 over the three nights. What makes Taylor Swift the artist of the generation? Because she's a storyteller. And America, whilst the history is young versus Europe, I think the second half of the 19th century offers such a great opportunity for storytellers to to tell great stories. Um, Because it was... Played out. It was a metaphor for a human endeavor pushing to that final frontier that we can all relate to, and it was also played out against the most extraordinary canvas in, in terms of uh, the, the topography of the
2: Wild West. How do you get your energy, David? What well, it worries me or doesn't worry me? I wish the hell I could emulate you. Is that you sort of get off a plane and turn up here? But I remember when we were in business and you whizzed off to the Skeleton Coast to take pictures. You know, and I remember you know three days there and back and. Whatever, which was complete madness because you were back in the office working within, you know, hours of landing, so... Yeah, you're definitely a workaholic. No, stamina is all over. Yeah. Because amazing stamina you've got. I don't know. I think um, you can bluff it a little bit because um,
1: I I do take the odd afternoon nap. I think (laughs) (laughs) Mark... Secrets are out. I never knew this.
0: This starts happening to me. You started winding me up. I keep passing out on the the afternoon. I think
1: Margaret Thatcher did 20-minute naps. Um, I think um, if you are lucky enough for your work to be your passion, then it stops becoming work. And um, there are parts of my job, very small parts of my job that are work, Security at Dallas Airport last night when there's a strike or whatever, so you're spending an hour and a half going through security. That is a little bit of work to me, but for most other people, that's just part of going on holiday, so I'm very, very lucky. Um, I do do need to take time out to think and for allowing to allow ideas to marinate, but because I'm doing what I love, I'm actually incredibly privileged and, and grateful, and I don't think... It, it is work. It's not like working down a mine or... Or running or, a hedge fund. Or running a hedge fund.
2: No, but the hedge fund was not. That was really work. But you were very dedicated at it. Uh, I was dedicated. and My dedication would have been
1: in the top quartile, but my performance wouldn't necessarily have been in the top quartile. I think it would have been second quartile. Uh, and uh, it was not something that... Um, Lent to either a healthy or happy lifestyle where you. I was thinking the other day, two weeks today, I woke up in, in New York and had the huge privilege of spending the day with John McEnroe, um, you know, one of the most famous tennis players and, and musician, uh, uh, married to Patty Smythe. And um, I thought, my goodness, hasn't my life changed that I'm looking forward to today and the opportunities to give rather than being threatened by things beyond my control. And I have so much empathy for people that still work in that world where they can be tossed around by exogenous variables the whole, day, the whole time. But it is their choice. And I made the choice to, to get out, which was the best decision I made in my life. I made some very bad ones, but that was a very good one. But you're right. It's, if you're only as good or your perception of, your, of yourself... Is determined by how you've performed in a month or in a quarter when the markets are really just a, in the short term, they're just a voting machine, not necessarily a value machine. What a miserable way to spend your life. And I see people now who have all the money in the world. And I say to one of their friends, oh, well, John or Freddie or Simon seems a bit low. And he's got a lovely family. He's got houses all over the world. He's had 20 years of success. And they say, yeah, he's having. A very tough first quarter of 2023. And I think, well, if there is such a mediacy for your need for internal gratification that um, you are only going to judge or be judged by others on how you've done last Wednesday, something is ephemeral in terms of that judgment. How on earth can you live your life? And that didn't suit my life at all.
0: Well it's it's something I notice in creative industries. I mean I always laugh in music everyone's either ADHD or narcissistic and probably both. But you know if I take the music industry which I'm more familiar with everyone's crazy. Like everyone's nuts Like it's really hard to find normal people who just want to fill in a spreadsheet or want to do a normal boring job, you know, it's not full of people we find in Slough that we employ in an accounting office, you know, you just don't get those kinds of people, so you've got all these nuts people and you're trying to get sh- shit done and no wonder, it's chaos you know, mostly, the the, the and really like every business, and your, yours are, I'm sure is the same in many ways you know, the music industry is admin at the end of the day it's databases, it's keeping stuff tidy, there's a huge part of it, I mean there's content creation but there's a huge part of it which is you know an incredibly dull you know admin kind of role sort of thing i don't know in photography where for the same sort of thing that people who are drawn to it are. i'm, I'm calling your team nuts now which is uh, i do
1: apologize to those involved but. i think i think that it's slightly behind the curve now to think that people in the creative arts are not commercial and uh um, some of the most commercial people I know are creative artists. They might have tough as hell lawyers behind them, but and in sport as well, we deal with a lot of, work with a lot of people in sport the top end of sport, and they are very very smart with numbers uh, My mum could rest herself was an artist, and she took pride in not knowing what four times seventeen was or having to think about what four times seventeen was. And she said, it's not for me to do, I'm an artist. I think those days have gone. I think whatever you're doing, you've got to have a certain numerical yeah. side to things. And that, of course, from my own perspective, I'm slightly on the spectrum on that. My whole team know that I'm slightly on the spectrum because I've been a numbers guy.
0: When you're trying to build this business, what did you do about social media? As Someone you know, who probably didn't
1: grow up with it like me. I think, to me, social media is... It's not our demographic. Most of our clients are too busy to be on social media. And therefore, if we ever get some hate on social media, and I'm I'm conscious of it because I read it, and my kids read it, and you're always going to get hate, my team who are slightly more uh, emotionally detached from it than I would be say, well, David, none of the people that buy the work are going to be reading this anyway. I think it's a, it's one of these things where better the devil you know, and. It's um, we we do have we do use it. I think we've got a decent uh, social media base around about a million. It doesn't alter if that one million went to two million, it would make no difference to our business. If it fell to half a million, it made no difference to our business. We are careful with it. Um, we watch every word, um, and you can't please all the people all the time. And in a, in this time of um, woke culture and political correctness. If we post a picture of a Native American and give a story about that Native American's history, you'll get a lot of plotters, and then you'll get some people that turn around and say... It's appropriation for him to be wearing traditional gear. And yeah, head. you're not dealing
0: with simple issues. You're almost, your thing is to almost juxtapose. You know, not even just put put them together. You know, sort of put put, put different images together that tie together. But someone's going to pick at.
1: Someone's always going to have a go, and uh, you got to laugh at it sometimes. I, I've got a. There was a petition to ban me from America, which got to around about seven thousand people. Really, uh, which I thought was a bit of a badge of honour, but seven thousand is fairly pathetic. Uh, <laughs> And the allegation was that one of our team members had fed a fox. And you didn't want to say, well, in the UK, you get people on hounds and horses. And what do you mean fed a fox? You're
0: not allowed to feed a fox? You're not.
1: not, a... not it, it constitutes behavior that could lend itself towards that fox then being habituated to human presence, which would alter Christ. its behavioral patterns. You was, and, and if you turn around and say, well, Thirty years ago in Scotland, you used to get a pack of hounds and they'd rip the fox to pieces. Yeah, yeah, wow. I, um, so you have you, you have to deal with those kind of things.
0: You've travelled around the world for decades. Do you feel like David Attenborough that it's like, oh my god, this everywhere I'm going, it's disappearing, and you know, and it's no, so... it's
1: almost bullshit. And, you think? Yeah, and most of the, the, the conservationists I know in America and the people that make the big difference. They haven't got much time, and nor should they have for the Grettas of this world that are doing blah, 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 you've done nothing. And what conservationists have made a massive difference in in the world over the last 10, 15 years. I think a problem that they have in their message to the outside world is they slightly borrow from newspapers where newspapers think that bad news sells. And there's a tendency in conservation to start a gala dinner saying... If we don't do something, there'll be no elephants left for their grandchildren to see. And that's actually nonsense. There's been so much progress made. And I like the message about the progress rather than the Greta spiel that we're all asleep at it's the wheel. It's
0: great. Wind. There is progress being made. It's, it's, okay, because the impression is the seas are being, you know, robbed dry and, you know the, 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 you know, everything's just on the decline and... So actually, actually there's more elephants now in Africa on those sorts of, you know,
1: metrics and things. Uh, There are parts of Africa where there are too many elephants for the ecosystem to protect. The the problem is, let's cut to the chase, if you really want to have a controversy. The issue is not global warming. I'm not a denier. Some parts of America have had particularly cold uh, winters. And last year, Europe had a very cold winter. So it's not a straight line, but the... The the trend is clearly a warming world. That's not the issue. The issue is population growth. But you never hear population growth talked about because the people that would espouse population growth as being um, the the, the issue we've got to be particularly careful of, they could in turn then be accused of being racist because the population growth is coming mostly in Africa and Mm -hmm. in Muslim countries. And the principle issue with population growth for animals is, is habitat loss. And it's t- entirely understandable. Populations are growing. You're going to see the areas where uh, animals used to live being taken over by people that have got better use for the land. And that is why the, the lion is probably the most vulnerable animal, much more vulnerable than the polar bear. So when polar bear, people aren't building houses up in the North Arctic, and animals are smarter than people give them credit for. The polar bear will find ways around the fact that maybe there was less ice than there was 10 years ago. So the polar bear numbers, for every lion in the world, there's two polar bears, and you don't hear that so much. Are
2: you really a movie maker now, more than a taking pictures, in the sense that you've moved it to a point where you can set the scene to an extent, aren't you? I'm going to say a movie, that it's more the resource behind what you do is much more sophisticated than just, i got a camera and I was lay down by the river and take a picture of a bear or something. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, Ansel
1: Adams, America's greatest photographer, he said that there are two types of photographers. There are people that take images and there are people that make images. If you make an image, there is a suggestion of a preconception and then an execution to take the idea and then you go through to the execution. Whereas the taking a picture uh, hints at a degree of spontaneity. If you're photographing uh, a football match yesterday in Newcastle, you'll take a picture. You won't make it. You'll you'll be in a position, hopefully, to take the picture. Every day, people take better pictures around the world than me. Thousands of people. And if I was to uh, think that the moat around my business was the idea that I can take better pictures than other people, what a load of arrogant nonsense. I'm, I'm not bad with the camera. I've had a bit of experience, learned from my mistakes. But that there is no barrier to entry on that. So if you put 100 people in Africa today, in East Africa, um, one of them's going to get a, an amazing picture that I'm never going never gonna to get. So what we do is, I think, we protect ourselves by investing in projects, uh, investing in content. And that is... Our USP, if we like, in that uh, we had a shoot last week, 10 days ago, and the shoot cost $200,000. But more importantly, it does serve as a differentiating feature, because there are not many photographers. The average photographer in the world earns $36,000, and his average career lasts for two and a half years. But they can't go and do that, and that is how we try and slightly differentiate ourselves. At a time when magazine budgets have been crushed because magazine industry is being crushed. So if um, Vogue or Harper's Bazaar or something like that were doing a big editorial fashion shoot, our budget would be three times theirs. And that is very much core to our business strategy right now.
0: If, if someone wanted to build something like you've built, what, you know, what, what is your best advice to them other than work your ass off?
1: I've read a lot of books about other photographers, mm. um, be a sponge to the work of other photographers. Oh, it's like the old Maxim, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I have spent probably 10 years trying to make sure I'm the least smart person in the room, which um, I'm continuing to do that today, of course, here. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's not so much of a challenge for me as it might be for other people. but much better be dragged up. And if you can find you surround yourself with people that are constant in their kind of commitment to the pursuit of excellence, then I think that's very helpful. One of my mentors who Richard knew very well was Charles Dunstan of of and Warehouse, and I know Charles well from early days, and he had two sayings. He said, 99% of people are crap. And... I agree with that. I think 99% of people are crap. Are what they do or just... In terms of, I think they're far too easy on themselves. Their application, they're, they're, it's that final 1% in everything you do that makes a difference. Look at in sports and in so many different areas, it's, they can be a lot of people very good, but you've got to be tough on you. I'm very, very tough on myself. He also said, Charles said, if you want something to, to be... Done quickly. Give it to a busy person. Yeah, and I also agree with that. What was your first impressions of my dad? That he was kind, hardworking, loyal, and loyalty means an awful lot to me. Um, I'm kind of fairly Sicilian, and I felt he was fairly Sicilian in terms of if um, you if you're, if you're good, loyal to him, um, it would always be reciprocated, as it has been.
2: Same here. We no, I mean, I think there, there was always this. Report. We had a period where it was all a bit difficult over something, and that uh, turned out a bit. I can't remember that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds like a by email. Probably. Must have been the lost
2: years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was in burning man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what it was, but there was a, somebody had given a the wrong, the wrong answer. Things get tense. Um, but, it, you know, David impressed me. I mean, he talks about he just got people drunk. He didn't. he? I really got excited when he said, I'm off to Birmingham on Christmas Eve. What are you doing in Birmingham on Christmas Eve? Or, I'm counting the people coming out of JJB Sports because I've done that for three or four years. And I'll be, what it meant was David would know whether they'd had a good Christmas before they knew they'd had a good Christmas. I remember that day. I'd, I'd been in a nightclub the night before. And I woke up next to
1: this lovely girl at about seven in the morning and she said, can I get a coffee or whatever? Whatever. I was in my house. And I knew I had to go to Birmingham. And I didn't think I was going to cut it with her that I was going to go to Birmingham for the day on Christmas Eve to store can. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go and grab you a coffee. And I never returned. She said, I left her there. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> That's how
2: you roll. And she was she was gorgeous. She was gorgeous. Dedication to duty. <laughs> yeah.
0: And now a quick word from our sponsor. Business without bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark, straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935.
1: You can find us at auriclark.com. So David, what do you think is bullshit in business? There are certain sayings that I hate in business, and that's maybe not addressing your question directly, but let me go, I find it a real turn off if anyone starts a conversation with, I've got to be honest with you. <laughs> well, always be fucking honest. Why well, turn around and preface something by saying, I've got to be honest with you? Is that suggesting that if you didn't do that, the rest of it is dishonest? So I hate, and it's used as a throwaway line. I think that's nonsense business and business meetings. And my team know it. If anyone says that immediately, just don't want anything to do with these people. The other one is when people say, I shouldn't really be telling you this. Well, fucking don't. If you shouldn't be telling someone something, then don't. So those are kind of two irritants from me in business parlions of people that are just lazy conversationalists and throw in those lines. I think on a on a broader scale one on business what's bullshit is false sincerity and false friendship. You've only got time to have a few great friends in the world and these people that come in and they all matey matey and um, asking you how your family is and whatever is false. Um, and I, I keep an eye on that with myself as well. We have 40 counterparties galleries around the world. If I drop dead Tomorrow, um, they might miss my business, but they wouldn't miss. Most of them wouldn't miss me. Maybe five out of the forty are good friends, and the other thirty-five I can do with that. Some of the thirty-five are arseholes.
0: Don't you find it a bit different culturally between the Americans and the British? I mean, I, I notice how the Americans is it's sort of it takes longer to get to know us, but then we're sort of ruder to each other as we get to know each other.
1: Andy, I'm gonna have a go at you on this. Yeah, please. How can you make a generalization of about three hundred and ninety million people? If you go to Seattle one day or San Francisco, the heart of Wokedom, and then you go to Texas, they're as different as Armenia and Edinburgh. Are. Yeah. I have this battle with my family when they want generalizations out of Americans. You just can't. It's the most divided country in the world. Mm. And we were with some people from Nebraska, and they were of a type. I knew exactly what they were. They were a little bit rednecky, a bit Republican, and no dress sense, but just ran family businesses that turned out to be worth $2 billion or whatever. And they were sitting around the table... And he was, they were saying, who do you least want to win the Super Bowl? And I knew exactly what my audience was. So I said, San Francisco 49ers. And they just wanted to embrace me because the culture from Nebraska to someone like San Francisco is just so disparate. So, But I think if you're going to make a collective judgment about Americans, they are a nation of entrepreneurs by, by definition. And that does tend to manifest itself, I think, in a greater hunger to do business than here.
0: So, someone says, "Got to be honest with you." That's like a trigger. You're like, "Right, this meeting's over." Yeah. Even if it's even if it's just casually flying out their mouth, it's
1: just a lazy line. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. either if they they're thinking about what they're saying, and that's unforgivable, or they're not thinking about what they're saying, and that's just lame. Yeah, yeah. You are poor laziness, do not you? Underneath it all. Lazy conversation. People can sit and watch the golf all the rest of the week for all I care, but I think if if you choose your words in a lazy way. One hate I do have in America Mm. is if you go to a Starbucks that can open at 5 in the morning, and you're having to break through the ice to get in there, and there's no chance of another customer for the next two hours Mm. because no one's stupid enough to be going to Starbucks in minus 30 in Wisconsin. And the girl behind the counter says, and can I have your name, please? And you think, well, you're going to have no more customers for the next two hours. Why is it relevant? So I tend to turn around and say something like John the Baptist, and she'll write down John (laughs) the Baptist on the coffee cup. And then there's still no one there. And then two minutes later, John the Baptist, your coffee's here.
2: (laughs)
0: So this is the five-second rule. So five seconds per question. Just some quick questions to get to know you better. Um, I'll try not to interrupt and start asking lots of questions. D, queue the music.
2: What was your first job? Uh, selling vacuum cleaners. What, really? What was your worst job? Selling uh, vacuum cleaners. <laughs> uh, selling
1: vacuum cleaners. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Favourite subject at school?
1: Uh, mass.
2: What's your special skill? I think... Believing you don't have one. Woo. We'll have to dig into that one. Uh,
0: What did you want to be when you grew up? (laughs) Footballer. Did you really? Uh,
1: (laughs) What did your parents want you to be? Um, uh, That's an interesting one. Uh, A five-second rule. I think different things. My mother wanted me to follow my heart. My dad probably wanted me to go into something sensible like my (laughs) can Do you have a go-to karaoke song? Um Do I have a go-to karaoke song? Pro- probably um uh, um I've got to do this quickly, haven't I? Um Dancing Queen ABBA.
0: Dancing Queen Have you seen the ABBA thing? I must go and see it in London. It's
1: supposed to be insane Oh, another one Give Me, Give Me, Give Me a Man After Midnight
2: Not that that's my intent that, Give Me, Give Me <laughs> Office Dogs business is all bullshit What's the question? Should they be allowed? Yeah,
1: business or bullshit? Um, uh, um, office, we allow dogs in our offices.
0: Good man. There's usually one here, but I left them at home. Um, have
1: you ever been fired? Um, by girlfriends, yes, but not by a corporate.
2: <laughs> What's your advice?
1: Um, whiskey. Good advice.
0: That was excellent. Thanks, David. Um, I think that's about it. It's, you, you can find you, I guess, at uh, David Jarrow Photography. Uh, and that was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you, David. Thank you, my dad. Thank you, Dee, the producer. We'll be back with BWB Extra on Thursday. Until then, it's ciao.